Welcome to Sudbury Scrub, a 40k podcast for the Sudbury community, season 3. And folks, we have hit it. We have hit uh, leak season when it comes to 9th edition spoilers. Up to this point, it's really been Games Workshop doing their drip, drip, drip feed. Uh, But now somebody obviously has access to some advanced materials, and they are starting the leaks. So at this point, I would expect uh, that full information is going to start coming uh, pretty quickly. It's going gonna, it's gonna to run rather, rather fast. I wouldn't be surprised if within a week's time, the like everything is leaked online. The entire rulebook and probably like the first, uh, all the content, pretty much all the contents. That's what this looks like. This looks like it is the contents of the Indomitus box set. Uh, that's what's being leaked here. You know what? I'm not even going to go that way. I don't have to go that way. I can go this way. There we go. Yeah, looks like it's going to be the entire contents uh, of the Indomitus box set. Uh, that's what this person's looking through because they're showing stuff about you know, they, they shared psychic phase, one page from the psychic phase, the actual rules, not snippets and pieces. We're going to see, um, we're probably going to be, well, and they show data sheets for different space marines units. Uh, so there are going to be, there's going to be a whole lot of stuff coming out, but let's rewind just a little bit back. Let's start with how today started for myself with uh, taking a look at things about um, the Psychic Phase and Supreme Command Detachment, two things that were revealed, not the whole Psychic Phase, but rather uh, some of the other information about it, um, for two things that were revealed during the Thousand Suns faction focus. So, for Psychic Powers, there was kind of a question, okay, how are they going to be, are they going to be the same? Um, Games Workshop showed, alright, there are these psychic actions that you can take. They are specifically, uh, the one that they're showing here was specifically for a type of secondary objective. It was that mental interrogation thing, and uh, it was pretty much exactly what I figured it would be, which would be uh, uh, your psychers can try to extract information from enemy characters. So if your enemy's got a whole bunch of characters, uh, you can try to do the psychic power instead of casting a normal power, and if you're within 18 inches of an enemy psyker, uh, not enemy psyker, 18 inches of an enemy character, uh, and the power goes off, it's only warp charge 4 though, it's very low warp charge, then you will get 3 command, uh, three victory points. So, if you are a psychic heavy army, or even not a psychic heavy army, if you take a psyker in your army, this is something that you really want to consider doing if your opponent has characters. Um, knights are going to be very vulnerable to this one because they're not going to be able to put a whole lot of screening stuff in the way. Putting screening stuff in the way might be very important here, just to kind of keep your psychers far away, your characters far away from enemy psychers. Uh, anybody that runs lots of characters are going to be very vulnerable to this. Uh, if you use the psychic action, though, you can't cast any other powers. Uh, I first read this the wrong way. I thought it was saying that you can't... Uh, that just really takes the place of casting a power. Uh, no, it takes the place of casting any psych, uh, any other power. So, that is a real cost. If you have, you know, if you have um, high-quality psychers that you're trying to use... Uh, you're going to have to give up casting all of your other powers in order to do this one. But for other things, this is really, really helpful. Heck, this could be a very useful thing for a model that only casts on like a D6, because this is only Warp Charge 4, so that's pretty easy to go off. But your opponent still has a chance to counter it. Again, if you have lots of psychers, you may want to consider having somebody around just to try to counter this, uh, this kind of ability. Uh, just to deny, because your opponent only gets the one shot at getting this off, just like a regular sick power. They only have the one shot. If they fail, well, then you have seriously denied them uh, victory points, uh, because you are capped out at 15 victory points per secondary objective, uh, and there's only five turns of the game. 
So if they don't get it off during one or two turns, that's a big deal. So yeah, there's a big risk for doing it, but at the same time, there's a lot of possible opportunity. Um, for other psychic stuff, now I'm going to kind of go back to the leak, because there was an important part of the, of the leak that had to do with psychic powers. And that was the order of operations is going to slightly change for your psychers. It used to be that you could just cast a power from one guy, bounce over to a guy on the other side of the board, cast a power from them. You're like, okay, well, now that I got all that off, I'm going to go back to that first guy and do a smite with him or do this power now with him. Stuff like that. You kind of bounce around a bit. Um, and although that wasn't really a... Pr I don't think that was ever really a problem. It was a little bit odd from the way I looked at it, just because a lot of other things, nothing else really in the game worked that way. Uh, everything else in the game was, all right, well, um, you know, finish doing everything with this unit first before you go over to the next unit, right? There wasn't a whole lot of this back and forth bit. So having it be done this way is just kind of like, okay, select a, a model, try to cast the power. Can you cast more powers? Okay, now you go for that next power. Can you still cast another power? Okay, keep going. Like So you're not able to um, take advantage, maybe, of knowing where your smites are going to be. Right? Beforehand, it was like, okay, I cast all my important powers. Now I do smites, and I'm going to do them in the order that best gets things that, that uh, gives me the best, most bang for my buck. Uh, it was, again, I don't think that was really a problem before, but it was just very odd that it did that compared to everything else in the game. So I am happy to see that get changed. Now you just finish everything with one dude before going to the next. The next part of the Thousand Suns faction focus had to do with the Supreme Command attachment changing, and this is a pretty big one. This is pretty huge. All the other detachments that we have seen previewed so far, uh, for the most part, haven't done anything very wild. They've all they've done was changed from being something that gave you command points to something that cost you command points. If your warlord was in that detachment, you got those command points refunded. Definitely made taking um, multiple detachments something that you wouldn't necessarily want to do uh, if you... Or that, I should say, not that you wouldn't want to, but rather there's a big cost for bringing another detachment. So it's like, hey... Uh, I'm playing, if somebody's playing Ultramarines, and it's like, I really, really, really want to bring a side detachment of Raven Guard because I just, their, that ability that they have is just so potent, just so strong. Um, well, you're, you gotta pay for those, you gotta really pay to bring them in. You're paying three command points to bring this in. Now, that could very well be worth it. Um, or you might just pay two command points to bring them in as a patrol detachment, something like that. That could very well be worth it. But at the same time, it could very well not be. We still don't know about some of these other detachments. We don't know about Vanguard uh, detachments or Spearheads or Outriders or stuff like that. But we do now know about Supreme Commands. So uh, where are they changing? Well, they're totally changing. Used to be that a Supreme Command detachment uh, would give you uh, three to five HQs and a Lord of War slot. Um, this was a huge, huge deal, because it would be almost kind of like, you know, your little retinue for some big dude. This is m primarily how you would bring Bash Brothers to a list. You would take uh, three of a certain kind of HQ choice uh, for a certain faction, and then you would bring that faction's um, really big dude. You want to bring uh, Magnus? probably were bringing him in this attachment along with airmen and a couple of demon princes or airmen and a sorcerer and something like that heck because they all shared the zinch keyword you may have actually brought magnus and three um and three uh heralds three uh whatever i don't know what you call them for the demons the zinch heralds that were psychers and you know not terribly bad but i mean airmen and Thousand Sun Psychers are just, they're the best single dude psychers that you're going to get in the game, so why not take them? Uh, but for Mortarian, I did that quite a bit. I would take Mortarian, and I would take 
three of the uh, Hawksbringer. Um, they're, they're, they're like, they're like uh, Plague Bearers. I think they're called Hawksbringers. Uh, and they were their Herald unit, which was very good bang for my buck, um, points-wise. I can't do that anymore because the Supreme Command Detachment is now just a single slot that you get. It's almost like an auxiliary detachment. Um, it is an HQ or a Lord of War. You can only have one Supreme Command Detachment in your army. And while it costs zero command points, your Warlord must be this model that you bring, this unit that you bring through the Supreme Command Detachment. It must have your Warlord in it. Uh, and it'll refund you your command points for a brigade, battalion, or uh, or patrol detachment. So, if you play, say, Thousand Sons, you bring a battalion of Thousand Sons and Magnus through this Supreme Command Detachment, um, Magnus has to be your Warlord. Now, there are other ways that you could accomplish this. You could take the Super Heavy Auxiliary Detachment, but if you do that, in order to make Airman your Warlord, uh, if, but if you do that, Magnus wouldn't get the trait bonus of being a Thousand Sun, because you don't get traits when you are in Auxiliary Detachment. So, uh, you know, you're really giving something up there uh, in order to gain that benefit. Right? Plus, the Auxiliary Super Heavy Auxiliary Detachment costs you three command points, right? Whereas this doesn't cost you any. However, again, right, you have to make Magnus your Warlord in Venus. And you may not want Magnus to be your Warlord. He doesn't have that great a trait. Just, just you know, knowing an extra psychic power. Which is cool, considering how much he can cast and how powerfully he casts. But the Thousand Suns also have a very easy stratagem of just, whoop, and I know a different power. Like, which is Chaos Familiar, which is very, very potent, and really gets you out by, and really you should only need those three powers, because you'll only cast three powers. And plus, he also has smite, so really already knows four powers. This would just make him know that fifth power. It's not necessarily a, a good choice to have him be your warlord. And he's a huge model. 18 wounds, which under the new rules means he's going to be... Uh, compared to other people, harder to hide. Right now, he'll be as easy, he'll be as hard to hide as he currently is, but in a world where most of your opponent's stuff will be able to hide a lot easier, that's going to stick out like a sore thumb. He usually gets, uh, if you don't get the first turn with him, um, he usually gets blown off the table right away. So either going to start with him on the table uh, and take that risk that hoping that you go first, and get those psych powers off to give him, you know, defensive buffs out the wazoo. Or you're going to, you know, put him into reserves uh, so that you can bring him onto the board at a later time. Let me get around this guy in time. Uh, in order to bring him on at a later time, at which point he is protected for when you start casting your power. So you'll be able to bring him out at a time you're choosing. He'll be totally protected until then. Um, this does other things as well, though, right? It's not just Magnus and Morty. This also means that if you want to bring uh, a Baneblade as a guard player, you really do need to use the either the uh, super heavy auxiliary detachment, or you need to bring three Baneblades. Um, and if you bring it in the super heavy auxiliary detachment, again, it won't get a trait. Now, there is a way around that with Psychic Awakening that you can give uh, the Baneblade your trait, right? Which was kind of like, oh, well, that's cute. Who cares? I can take a Supreme, uh, Supreme Command attachment and I spend almost nothing on my HQs because I'm guard. Uh, and they'll still be useful. And now it's like, okay, no, I can't do that. I have to spend command points to bring it. Either uh, three command points in the new amount of command points is pretty low, again, especially for guard. Um, that may not entirely be the case if you're able to just, you know, um, gain back command points unlimitedly, which seems to be the case. That might just be a uh, match play rule only. We'll see if they even do that. I don't think they really will, just because there are a lot of ways to bring back command points, and 
with so few command points to start and you already gain a command point to turn. See, that rule has to change right there. If you already gain a command point to turn, well, is that then you can gain only a maximum of two command points a turn? Like, it's going to be changed in some way or another. Right now, I'm thinking that they're just going to remove that altogether. Uh, and with those fewer command points to start with, it's just going to help balance that out. So, yeah, you know, it's going to really impact uh, guard armies that want to bring bring bane blades or stuff like that. Uh, apparently, there will be some other forces that you can bring, because it's not just a Lord of War. You can just bring an HQ in this Supreme Command Detachment. So, if you are an army that's really starved for HQ units, uh, then this may be an option for you to consider. Again, looking back at Thousand Suns, because they are an HQ-intensive army. Uh, or maybe even Gene Stealer Cult. Gene Stealer Cult can really be an HQ-intensive army, because each of their HQs does something really unique and really different from the other ones. And sometimes you want just want to bring all of them. Um, you can take that one extra one through the use of this detachment, make that one your warlord, you gain the trait that will, you know, share with the rest of your army, um, and you're not spending any extra command points to do it, you still end up getting all the same number of command points as before. So, it's, uh, I think, it, you know, it makes a lot of sense for doing that. There's also something going to be called the Supreme Commander, um, which there aren't any of in the game right now, but I'm pretty sure we all know that that's going to be stuff like Fraka, or, you know, the new Silent King dude. Uh, oh, that's another thing, yeah, right, the super, the super, uh, su uh, uh, Supreme Command Detachment, um, the only guys that you can actually take in it are uh, Primarchs, Demon Primarchs, which are still Primarchs, in my opinion, uh, or Supreme Commanders, so again, yes, uh, so that whole thing I just said about Gene Steel Cult, maybe, yeah, that's, that's gone. That's out of there, unless the Patriarch gets a Supreme Commander take. Could be the case. There's some walls that might get this Supreme Commander take uh, going forward. Uh, it'll be interesting. Again, there are weird things that you can do with this detachment if that's the case. You could, in theory, uh, have Magnus in a Supreme Command detachment like this, a Thousand Suns, and Meanwhile, your main battalion is a Zinch Demons force. That would be totally legal. You would still regain your command points for it, and that'd be fine. Um, you could take it alongside a brigade. Again, you'll regain your command points for that brigade, even though it's not the same exact faction as the person that's in the Supreme Command detachment. Uh, and I think that'll still work out fine, because heck, you could take Gulliman, even though you wouldn't want to take Gulliman outside of an Ultramarine detachment, but I mean, you could still have him, and it's like, okay, who's going to say no to Gulliman being the Warlord, right? Not many people. Uh, and you can do that without spending command points. If you want to make this Primarch be your lackey to your main dude, well, you're going to have to spend command points to bring him in, so it's a big deal. Lastly, we got, uh, like I said, some more leaks on other data sheets and stuff like that, the psychic phase. already went over the psychic phase. Uh, the cool thing that I was seeing in the leaks on the data sheets for different units, uh, they showed Space Marine ones, they showed some of the Necron ones. It's all stuff that we already knew, for the most part. Um, the Justicar guy, I can't, that's not actually how you pronounce it for this, it's just it's how I think of it. Space Marine Justicar guy that looks like a, a chaplain with a big sword and he carries like a vial. That vial, time vial thing, slows down your opponents by um, making them fight last in close combat, which, like we have reviewed already for the changes to close combat, um, striking last is a big deal. So uh, that that's going to be quite a potent ability of his. You know, you get, some, you get to play like Dark Eldar too, Space Marines, don't you worry. You get everything. <laughs> No, the cool thing I wanted to note on this was the aura abilities. Um, the data sheets specified whether an ability was an aura or not. So if it was an aura, it was okay. Uh, I think the, the cool example of one that had kind of two things uh, were the My Will Be Done for Necrons, 
on the Overlord, and also this uh, Relentless March, I think it was. Uh, the Relentless March is an aura that just makes it that your dudes can advance faster when you want them to advance. It's not a huge deal, it's not a huge buff, but that one is listed as being an aura. Meanwhile, my will be done lacks the aura bracket ability, which means that even though it affects a unit within a range, it's not an aura. They don't want you to call that one an aura. This is a change to the game because previously, if you had an ability which turned off all aura abilities of a unit, uh, it would turn off my will be done because it would change. Say you had something that's like your, the distance of all auras of a unit are reduced to zero. And if you read in the rule book, it says, well, what is an aura ability? Well, it's anything that says it affects a unit within a range from the, from the model or from the unit. Um, and my will be done was, it was you give plus one to hit rolls to a unit within this round of range. It is only a single unit as opposed to all units around you, but uh, it's still something within a range, right? The Tau shield drones, their bodyguard ability is in eighth edition, an aura, because it is, hey, uh, a character within a range loses a wound. That gives you the chance for the shield drone to jump in the way with savior protocols. So if you can turn off, if you could turn off auras, then if you if they had just a single squad of shield drones left, and you went zoop. No, I'm gonna box screen the aura of that those shield drones. Um, then suddenly they don't have that. And <laughs> when beforehand they did, it was a really neat little interaction. Well, now there's going to be, we're going to see, is that going to be actually considered an aura or not? There could be that confusion, like you said, with my will be done. It's like, is that an aura? I mean, it's not really affecting, um, it's not really affecting all units in range. It's affecting one. He points to a unit, they say, you go do this. Is that really an aura? And Games Workshop is saying, no, you know what? We don't want that to be an aura. We don't want there to be this confusion of what things are auras and what things are not auras. And there was a ton, a ton of things that were confusing like that. Um, now it's going to be answered because the new data sheets are just going to say, yes, this is an aura. Or no, if it doesn't have that tag, it ain't an aura. So there you go. And I think that's going to be just really helpful going forward. So thank you for listening to Sudbury Scrub. That's going to be my program for today. Happy Canada Day. Also, I want to point out that uh, I have just spoken with Doug at the Computer Nook. And we are going to be doing... So oh, i got to go turn around and get gas. Um, we're going to be doing uh, something a little bit different for another interview. So I've done interviews with my wife. I've done interviews with my team. And I just recently I, I found that the interview with Austin on talking about Super Heavies was really good. I really enjoyed that one. Um, and I want to continue doing those. So I'm going to interview Doug and talk with him about running the store. And like some of the challenges that you're, that you're faced when you're doing that. So if you have any questions, you want to ask Doug about running a game store in Sudbury. Um... And, and it could be anything at all. And trust me, I'll, I'll try to make it respectful and tactful, even if it's not. That's fine. <laughs> you should have seen a couple of the questions that I got for the Super Heavy one. Um, send it to me. I'd love to be able to ask him about it. So thank you for listening. It's been Sudbury Super Game. yesterday I was saying, hey, we're in full, we're, we're going full throttle with the leaks that things are going to start really flying out now. Well, guess what came out yesterday while I was having dinner? Um, yeah, somebody posted up most, though not quite all, of the rule book 
online. So there's a few critical bits of information that we're still missing. But the rules, the core rules of the game, are now available. And there's some definite easy assumptions that can also be made. Uh, so we did see that um, spearheads are, and th those types of detachments, are three command points. Uh, the auxiliary detachment is two command points. The um, uh, that you have this half inch range, not coherent, not your don't normal inch within an inch for close combat, but rather you have to be within half an inch of a model within half an inch for close combat. There, they've really tightened that up in order to make it two ranks. Um, and I, I, and we've also seen some new information about transports. And really, with that all out of the way, we do have, with all the other leaks that have happened, we do have the full rules uh, for 9th edition. The only thing that we're kind of missing is engagement range, which um, is handled before the part about phases. It's apparently on page 198 of the new rulebook. Um, and the leaks that we got start on, like, I think page 204 or something like that. Uh, so, I mean, there. We don't have quite everything, but we got a lot of it. Uh, the other thing that we're majorly missing is the uh, uh, other kinds of secondary objectives for uh, and, and uh, other matched play missions. We didn't get to see those. So those are things that have change that we don't know, but other than that, we kind of know everything now. So anybody that says, well, we haven't seen the whole rules, so well, we, we now see the whole rules. <laughs> um, so there are a few of these things that I do want to cover today, because they are going to be very interesting. And then again, we'll try, if I have the time, we'll try to look at the game as a whole with all this information in. Uh, for engagement range, I think we're just going to make the assumption that it's going to be, uh, you have to be within an inch of any part of the model, rather than uh, from its base, and that is in effect going to carry over then for your taller models like monsters and vehicles so that they can hit units higher up on terrain, um, even if they have a base. So, like a Lord Discordant with his big tall spear that actually does reach up to the second floor of most buildings, um, will he'll be able to fight enemies on the second floor, and really tall dudes like Knights and Primarchs will be able to fight up to even the third floor, because again, they just actually reach, they're actually that tall of a model. Um, so, first of all, of those changes I was just mentioning, let's kind of go through just some of the things that we see in each phase. Uh, for the movement phase, there's kind of everything that we already know, you know, just the, your basic things about moving, advancing, falling back. Uh, the interesting thing that I don't quite understand, well, I do understand why they put it, and it's because some people are really, I think I understand why they put it. Uh, some people are really sticklers about what constitutes a move and what happens if you don't move. Uh, you can select an option of remain stationary. If you remain stationary, you move. But, go figure. There doesn't seem to be anything in, in the rules about, at the moment at least, that if the unit remains stationary, right? However, do by defining it like that, you do at least give a, a very clear definition of what that remaining stationary is. And if something in the game later refers to, did this model remain stationary, you do know that it is only going to be units where you actually said they remain stationary. Because if you don't, um, then there are times where there may be some confusion. Um, you know, we already kind of eliminate a lot of that confusion when it's like, hey, units that deep strike onto the board, how fast did they move? Uh, some people said, well, they didn't move at all because you're not allowed to move any further when you get onto the board, and they haven't moved. They've just been set up, so they were stationary, and Games Workshop had to say, no, they count as moving their maximum possible movement distance, um, so they have moved, per se, right? So that's, that's one thing, right? That's one thing that you can do. Um, 
Where was I going with that? All right, yes. So with remaining stationary, for some reason, if something comes up where it's just like, hey, this unit that just appeared, what does it count as? Or this unit that hasn't really moved, but at the same time, they didn't really not move, right? There, There is some unique situation going on here. You can say, well, did it use the remain stationary movement option? No. Okay, well then it has not remained stationary, so anything that will trigger off of that will not trigger in this case, right? Um, transports. Transports are in the movement rules, thank God. And so for transports, it works just like before, with a few exceptions. Um, the rule that they in, that they put in is through the FAQ process of that you can't charge when you disembark from a transport, even if you emergency disembarked from a transport, um, that rule remains in effect. So uh, that's now just codified in the actual rules. Beforehand, it was saying that you couldn't charge if you disembarked, but um, emergency disembark disembarking was like, again, not really a rule per se, like it wasn't a type of movement. Um, rather, it was just kind of the description of something that you can do. It's like, hey, you can do this. You can get out of your vehicle, and uh, if you get out of your vehicle this way, you can't charge. But that didn't really cover situations where, well, what if your vehicle is destroyed, right? And it was like, okay, well, if it got destroyed, it's probably not your turn. Ah, probably not my turn. What if I made it happen on my turn? <laughs> Such as with overcharging this combi plasma, which slays its its bearer. Oh god. It's like, really? This little combi plasma kills a whole vehicle? Uh, they wrote some dumb rules that way. Um, or, you know, the more common way that people were, the, they thought people were trying to do it, which I had never seen, but it made sense. Uh, you tried to charge the vehicle into combat with somebody, uh, and with the Overwatch, they shoot Overwatch at it, uh, and they kill it on Overwatch, and now the unit pops out, uh, not, uh, when they kill it with the Overwatch, the unit pops out, and bam, you have a, a unit there, and it's the charge phase, and you can charge with them, right? So, that's what people were doing, they wanted to stop that, so they got rid of it. The only interesting thing about this that they've really changed, um, in aside from just kind of making those FAQ bits part of the core rules, is that you also can't heroically intervene on the turn that you disembark from a transport. Now, this is important because, again, by code, they're codifying just everything a little bit better in the rules now. Um, so disembarking happens even if it's an emergency disembark. See, this is kind of one of the things that they did, right? They just said, uh, hey, if the vehicle explodes, you disembark immediately, and there's also this. But that because it's codified in the rules what disembarking is and how it's done, it's like, okay, all these things, when you disembark, now apply. So, uh, heroically intervening. You can't heroically intervene if you disembark from a transport. That means if you blow up an enemy transport and had a character that, that survives, you can charge close to them and not trigger their heroic intervention. That can be, uh, just, uh, that could be a useful thing to make note of. Because there were, uh, that did happen to me at least one time where I was, um, I had blown up a vehicle and I wanted to get at the, the targets inside, and I did, but then I had forgotten that there was the character that was in with them that was able to protect them after they got out. And it was like, oh, shoot. I think I still ended up charging. I think it still worked out, but that was, you know, a moment where I had to be very cautious. And... They want to make sure that that doesn't happen, uh, even though, like, it's a pretty rare situation to begin with. Uh, next, we go on to the psychic phase, as now that psychic phase, we kind of already know everything, because we just covered that leak that we saw yesterday, which was the whole, uh, just that you have to, once you start with a psyker, you have to finish all that psyker's powers before going on to the next psyker. So, that's good. I'm very happy to see that. Uh, nothing else in the Psyker rules has really changed. Um, it's all pretty straightforward for that. Uh, then, on to shooting. Uh, for shooting, there was one small change. Again, it's not something that I think really came up very much at all. 
fact, I, I can, it's hard, it, like, I can imagine a situation, um, but it is a, it is a change, so let's mention it. Uh, when you shoot multiple targets with something that is, has multiple weapons, so it's able to shoot multiple targets, um, you have to fit, do all your shots against one target before changing to another target. Um, that could be important in that you may have chosen, like, okay, well, I'm going to shoot this weapon here, that weapon there, that weapon here, or maybe, you know, this weapon at this guy and this weapon at this guy that's buffing that guy. Um, maybe it's, yeah, something like, okay, well, I'm going to shoot this guy, knock him down some wounds. Now that he's knocked down some wounds, I want to kill this other guy. Now it takes away the certain thing that's going to trigger. I, I don't know. Something like that, I guess, could be the situation that you could have done before. I've never seen it happen that way. Uh, the way that I used to play was just, I would tend to shoot all my weapons of a single type. Um, rather than resolve all my shots on one thing and then go to the other. But now they're just directly codify that. They're saying, no, I'm just, you know, even if you're shooting like some bolters this way, some bolters that way and the battle cannon this way, uh, resolve all your shots against the one target first. So, not a big deal on that one, but it is a change. <sighs> Let's see, P yeah, pistols stayed the same. I, I did do a very careful check on that wording, just because um, pistol the wording of pistols was something that was kind of really confusing before. Um, I think they got it a slightly better wording this time, even though I think it's mostly the same. Uh, it, it did just feel a little bit clearer. I didn't feel like I had to reread it a bunch of times. But yes, same thing as before. You're either shooting your pistols, or you're shooting your other weapons. Um, and pistols can only be shot at people that you are in close combat with. They can't be shot into close combat. They can't be shot out of close combat. Pretty straightforward. I, they can't be shot into close combat unless you are part of that close combat. Let's say it that way. Um, then the assault rules. And the assault rules are, again, where just things are being changed up. Um, to me, it feels like they've made another nerf to large units and, uh, and to close combat in general. Uh, I get it, though. Like, I, I, just from where we're seeing the game kind of going, I see what they kind of want to do with close combat, now, now that we've kind of seen all the changes. Um, but the main change from everything that we've already discussed uh, is that when you make your attacks in close combat, uh, only the models either in engagement range can fight, which would, like I said, theoretically be models within an inch of enemy units or models that are within an inch of one of your models that are within an inch. Uh, sorry, not an inch. Uh, that are within a half inch of models that are within a half inch of enemies. So, previous rules for that are where uh, if you have a model within an inch of another friendly model within an inch, then you get to... Oh, man. That's... How did that happen? Sorry. Looking at a car in the ditch and... No idea how it got there, it was on a very weird angle. Um, there was nobody inside. It was all good. They must have happened last night. I guess they're gone. Anyway, uh, yeah, so it used to be a model with an inch within an inch. So you, the idea that they were saying, and they always said it, was that the intention is that you can fight in two ranks. Um, however, a bunch of models are on 25 millimeter bases, and 25 millimeters is less than an inch by a little tiny bit. <laughs> and what that means is uh, you could put uh, one unit, one, mo uh, one model, in base-to-base -base contact with an enemy model. Um, and if you somehow filled up all the rest of the space there, you could put another model in base-to-base -base contact with your model behind 
like uh, behind uh, base-to-base contact with with your model that was already there, right? So now you have two. Mo- you have this kind of like line, if you can imagine, of models. But both of those models are within an inch of the of the first model, the model that you want to fight, the unit that you want to fight. So both of them, even without the inch within an inch rule, just the within an inch rule would be able to fight. Which means, if that's the case, well then if you put another model behind that second model in base contact with it, it will, although it won't be within an inch of the enemy model, it will be within an inch of your first model. And if you put in another model, a 25mm base, um, in base contact with that, then it will be within an inch of the second model of that unit. This allows you to, with 25mm um, sizing, size bases, you can get four ranks deep for fighting. Which was only ever applicable by really big units. Uh, a really big unit of with really small bases, you could get you could get everybody in. I, I like that you could get everybody in because these guys are often pretty weak, um, but they've really, really, really noted that they don't want that. And by changing this to half inch within a half inch, it does that. Um, so if you're within an inch of the enemy. Now, and so keep in mind, if, if you uh, do that first two models, right, the, the one stack behind the other, uh, both of them will get to fight. Um, and that's it. If you put a third model there in that line, you will not be within a half inch of that first model. So you would not fight with that third rank. Um, there would, There's probably some math that can happen where you can kind of do it. Um, probably if your second row is staggered, so it's not like directly behind the first model, but rather kind of fits into the niches in between. And then the third model is standing. Yeah, but even then, if, if you if you go on to the other thing there, then yeah, you're still within an inch anyways. So in that case, you'll be able to get a little bit more than two ranks uh, for the total number of models, but it won't be by much. Oh, why did I go this way? Oh well, doesn't matter. I'm already committed to the path. I was meant to take. I meant to take the uh, Mali Drive extension. Instead, I apparently turned on to LaSalle. Ah, your brain does fun things when you're going like this. Anyway, so yeah, it, I guess it's kind of possible to get within three. Uh, get three ranks, but it won't be by much. And again. It's pretty rare, and that will only be in the case for 25mm bases. Uh, everyone else will be just fine, right? Because all the other bases are over an inch large. And so they weren't really affected before. 32mm was is larger than an inch. They weren't really... Uh, they weren't really being caught by this uh, beforehand. Um... And they're not being caught by it now, right? Because if beforehand you were with, uh, if you were directly behind that first model, you were not within an inch of enemy models, but you were within an inch of your first one. Well, now if that first one again is within, so long as it's right up to your opponent, it's within a half inch, really. Um, then you can still fight because you're going to be within a half inch of that first model. So doesn't affect really any unit with a larger base. Uh, just affects. 40 units with small 25mm bases, which even those are kind of on the way out. There's not many uh, units that still have them. Ugh. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if eventually everything kind of gets changed over to 32, with the few exceptions of humans, maybe gods. And that's it. Like, you know, rocks. <laughs> Just anything really tiny. So those, oh, uh, transports. You know, there was something I forgot about transports I was talking about. Um, <laughs> so it's not just the heroic intervention thing, although I did get caught up in there. Uh, it's also when you disembark, you have to disembark wholly within three inches. Wholly within that disembarking range. 
rather than just within three inches. There's a big difference. Uh, when you are within three inches, um, all, only the tiniest part of your base actually has to be within three inches. And so what that could mean would be you would disembark from the vehicle. Um, like you could have, again, a model with a 25 millimeter base on around your entire vehicle, totally surrounding your transport, um, tightly up to it. And then it, say, it gets destroyed. Your guys are not killed. No, no, no. Because you can deploy at the three inch mark, which their base is smaller than an inch. So there is uh, three inch minus the one inch. That leaves two inches there. Uh, heck, even if they had a, a 32 millimeter base, you could do it, right? You would just have to be within the three inches. Um, and with a larger than third, with a, a larger than 25 millimeter base, you have a model that also has a larger than that has a larger than an inch base, or that has an inch size base. So you're actually gaining almost four inches, or actually maybe more than four inches, when you disembark. It's kind of nuts. <laughs> Uh, and definitely not what they've intended. Uh, and the proof of that is now you have to be wholly within three inches, which means your entire model has to be within three inches of the transport. And again, I think this is the way that a lot of people, they play it at first, because this is what they're thinking it means, because that's kind of what it says, and it just kind of makes sense. It's like, well, you get out, but you can't get out too far, right? But because of the way that it was worded, which was a little sloppy, um, you actually had this whole extra distance that you could do. And now you can't. So now you are within that space. If your opponent has you surrounded, you're going to have to use their new stratagem uh, to really bounce out of there. Which I think gives you um, a 6-inch emergency disembarkation range. And uh, But you, you are much more likely to lose your guys from the squad from disembarking that way. I think it's on a, on instead of being on a one that you guys die, I think it's on a one or two. It's kind of like um, the stratagem there where you can um, leave combat and go through enemy models when you do so, even though you normally can't, and on that one it's on a one or a two that your guys die. Um, I think that one's on a one or two. Anyway. Oh, uh, another change here. Uh, insane bravery. The bane of 8th edition morale. Why was it the bane? Well, because you would just be like, you could save two command points almost every turn to just be like, well, psh, this unit's not gone. Uh, this unit's not gone. Uh, this unit's not gone. Uh, that stratagem totally... Um, took the bite out of morale because you weren't terribly likely to fail morale in the addition, especially if you, you know, built your army with uh, lots of little squads, uh, with lots of big, oh, lots of little squads, and you had lots of big squads because you were a horde player, uh, then, yeah, again, you would just, you would make sure to save some points for insane bravery. It's like, well, I lost two-thirds my orc squad. I got ten boys left. I don't want them to run. Insane bravery. And you could do the next turn. Hey, same thing. Insane bravery. It just wasn't, um... There were very few times people failed morale in 7th edition because you had this stratagem that just stopped it. Uh, and considering that there were a bunch of victory points that were based off your opponent failing checks, and never you never took those because they, they just wouldn't. There were a bunch of abilities that were like penalties to leadership and they just wouldn't fail. Well now, Insane Bravery is once per game. So you can still do it, uh, but you can only do it once, all game. And if that's the case, um, yeah, you won't have it for anything else. So, suddenly, that really reinvigorates any of those things that were like, oh, I can do extra leadership penalties on something uh, and try to get them to fail from just having one or two 
morale tests. And whereas before I was like, yeah, well, they're just going to insane bravery it. Unless you do multiple units on the same turn. Nope. And <laughs> now you can do it to one unit and they insane bravery that unit. And then next turn you do it to another unit and they can't insane bravery it. And then the next turn you do it to another unit and they can't. And now that starts really eating into them. So they get it once, but that's it. That's pretty cool. Okay, well, we've run out of time for looking at the game as a whole. Thankfully, I do think I got through all the main changes. Uh, I don't think there are any other major changes. I guess the Warlord traits for your army, there were three before. Now there's only one. There's just the Inspiring Aura, which just adds one leadership to um, models within aura range, six inches of your Warlord, if you want to go with the rulebook one. The other ones are Tenacious Survivor and the one that gives you a bonus attack on the charge, I think. Those ones are gone. They were pretty awful anyways. Anyways, nobody ever used them. Um, I don't think there's really anything else. Uh, so there could still be some surprises coming up, especially with the way new models are going to work with it. I am going to be having a match today at uh, later on. I'm going to try to take my Jinsto Occult against Mark's Space Marines. I'm going to try to play the new scenario and see how I do with these different rules. So wish me luck on that. Also, um, I am going to be, I think I already mentioned, but I'm going to mention it again. Uh, Doug and I are going to be having a, uh, not a debate, but we are going to have a discussion about the, uh, about running the store in Sudbury. And so, you know, if you have any kind of business questions or you have questions like, uh, here's one just off the top of my head. Uh, why is it that um, it can take so long to bring in some models and it's such a short amount of time to bring in others? I'm pretty sure I know the answer to that, but, you know, let, that's, let, that's a good question to ask Doug and to bring up and have a discussion with him about. Uh, because not everywhere is going to be facing the same challenges uh, for bringing in stock. If you are in Edinburgh, in, uh, in Britain... You probably can get your um, apothecary model a lot easier than you can if you're here, assuming that both stores were out of stock when you ordered it, right? So um, let's have a discussion and say, hey, why is that the case? Who do, you, who do you work with? How do you get these things done? And I encourage you to post up some questions, and I will try to get everything answered don't know when that's going to be yet, but we'll figure it out. So thank you for listening. This saying, keep on working. The riding the rest of the time.